you know, I was going to wait for a few minutes to go live, but I was just like, fuck it. I'll just go live now and uh, wait for people to come in. Howdy, everyone. You're watching Dangerous Thoughts on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter. I don't know what today is. Wednesday something or other. October 13th. It's Wednesday, October 13th. Um, howdy to everyone in chat. I got chat pulled up right here, so I'm going to try and pay attention to it. Um, let's see. We are streaming on YouTube, but also, and more importantly, Odyssey and Utreon. And you can always go to unsafespace.com where you can find our live streams uh, embedded there, no matter where we are streaming from. And also old content and stuff is there as well. Uh, if you're watching, thank you in advance for initiating the use of force against that subscribe button. It's the only violation of the non-aggression principle that I approve of, so go ahead. Smash it. Um, and thanks in advance to those who support the show financially, which you can also do by going to unsafespace.com. You can also buy merch, everything else, whatever. Okay. You know, uh, it's kind of, as Alanis Morissette would say, it's, it's a little bit ironic. I started this series about uh, clear thinking, and or one of the themes is clear thinking. And if you've watched the last show, you know I'm struggling with it right now. But I'm going to do it anyway. Apologize if I'm a little slow today. But uh, there is something that I'm going to start with that's going to get me a little bit fired up because, uh, you know, I decided to at, try and start with at least a news item every week now um, just because it gets people excited, gets me. Usually there's something that's pissing me off. Um, so I'm going to play a video. We're going to watch a video first. It's uh, almost two minutes long. And it's from a man named Keith Olbermann. Keith Olbermann is a sportscaster turned political commentator slash lapdog for the cathedral. And apparently there was some sort of kerfuffle. Uh, there was some sort of disagreement between him and Joe Rogan, I guess. Uh, he said something and Joe called him unhinged. And he responded to Joe Rogan to show that he wasn't unhinged and Joe was in fact the problem. And uh, I'm gonna play the response for you because I think it's worth, I think it's worth seeing this. So let me pull this up. Here is, here's the tweet that goes with this thing. I'll read it for those of you listening. It says, hey, at Joe Rogan, nice to hear you pause from gargling goat urine or whatever you did instead of overcoming your fear of the vaccine to call me unhinged for pointing out what terrified snowflakes you and your clown car of followers are. Here's the video that set off Mr. Afraid. So I guess this is a video. So I guess this is a video that Rogan reacted to, um, and uh, and he's reposting it. So I guess that's what's going on. So let's take a look at this video. All right, here we go. Time to stop coddling the people who won't get the shot. Booster shot, mission accomplished, and it is. It is time to stop coddling them the ones who won't get the damn shot already. And our first step, you and I, is symbols 
the language we use. We call these people vaccine hesitant, vaccine skeptics, anti-vax. We say they're protesting mandates and passports. They're making a personal choice. They're waiting for more information. They're making. By the way, I'm just pausing for a moment. I mean, we are going to watch the whole thing. I just want to make sure, note the tone, um, note the language. Just pay attention to, to that. Making a medical decision. Bullshit. They're afraid. They're afraid to get vaccinated. Stop feeding their egos about what they're doing. Stop legitimizing it. Vaccine hesitant, they're afraid. Vaccine skeptics, they're afraid. Anti-vax, they're afraid. They're protesting mandates in passports. They're afraid. They're making a personal choice, they're afraid. They're waiting for more information, afraid. They're making a medical decision to be afraid. The snowflakes are afraid. Afraid of the vaccine. Afraid of being proved wrong. Afraid of doing what anybody else in the world tells them to do. Afraid of needles. So no more pleasant euphemisms about what's going on here. Apart from the people who have legitimate medical complications about vaccines, we have to stop coddling the morons who will not get the shot. We start by calling them what they are. They are all snowflakes and cowards and idiots and losers. And most importantly, they are afraid. All right. Them are some strong words from, I guess, a man in his penthouse in Manhattan or wherever that is. I don't know. Okay. <sighs> Let's just take a look at this video really quickly. Let's just do a quick analysis. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this guy. But a few things I noticed right off the bat. Number one, he intentionally mischaracterized what Joe Rogan did by conflating it with the ridiculous, right? He said, gargling with goat urine or whatever you did. Um, to be clear, Joe Rogan took ivermectin. It's not in the same category as goat urine. It is an FDA approved drug, but taking it for the COOF would be an off-label use. Um, doctors do prescribe off-label uses for medications about 20% of the time, as far as I understand. It's quite common. Um, I haven't done a lot of research on ivermectin in particular, so I don't have a strong opinion about it, but from what I can tell, uh, the following things are true. The FDA does not recommend it for taking, uh, for, for the COOF, for fighting the COOF, uh, but some doctors have prescribed it nonetheless. Um, and as of March 31st, I'm going to quote the World Health Organization's website, <clears throat> quote, this is from the WHO, Susan, uh, quote, the current evidence on the use of ivermectin to treat COVID-19 patients is inconclusive. Until more data is available, WHO recommends that the drug only be used within clinical trials. Okay. Okay. So he felt the need to conflate a substance in this category with these features that I just said with gargling goat urine. 
might want to ask yourself why he felt the need to do that. That's an odd conflation of things. Those things, those things don't go together, right? I don't think the WHO is saying, well, you know, gargling goat urine should only be done within clinical trials because the evidence is inconclusive on it, right? And the FDA has approved gargling goat urine for a variety of other things, but not this, not even in the same category. So he does that, which is dishonest. The other thing I noticed is uh, right off the bat is there's a lot of elitism and specifically elitist ad hominem in here. Um, there's a tone, you notice the tone of his kind of mocking condescension, right? They're making a personal choice. He mocks that they're making a personal choice. He says that very mockingly. He, he mocks their protesting mandates and passports. He kind of says, afraid of needles, right? Like it's, it's, it's all kind of mocking and elitist, not kind of mocking, overtly and directly mocking and elitist. There's name calling, right? What does he say? We have to stop coddling the what? Morons, right? And then he says, we start by calling them what they are. They are all snowflakes. That's an interesting one, by the way, because the left has been trying to appropriate that word and I don't think it's working. Uh, they're trying to make the word snowflake mean some kind of disparaging thing against their enemies, but we all know uh, the true snowflakes are in safe spaces with purple hair at college campuses. Anyway, he always he calls them he calls his enemies here cowards, idiots, and losers. And as Michael Malice points out, I don't know if you noticed this from the video. Uh, Michael Malice has uh, tweeted about this, and he said. You're literally talking down to the masses from up a penthouse on the most expensive real estate area on earth. So lots of elitist condescension coming out of this video. The third kind of obvious thing I noticed, which I'm sure everyone did here, is the repeated aggressive insistence that Joe Rogan and people opposed to the coof <clears throat> wine mandates, I'll call it wine, uh, there, his insistence that they are afraid. I mean, he repeated that word over and over again. So I was like, all right, well, let's, you know, he's this is directed at Joe Rogan mostly, right, and, and his followers. Okay, let's just look at the physicality of Joe Rogan. He didn't fight in the UFC as some people think he did, but when he was a young man, he did win the U.S. Open Championship for Taekwondo. He was uh, the Massachusetts full contact state champion for four consecutive years. Full contact, by the way, I've done full contact martial arts. Full contact martial arts is not, he's not doing katas, all right? Um, he was an amateur kickboxer uh, and a martial arts instructor. Later in his life, according to Wikipedia, he now has a black belt under Eddie Bravo's 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu and another, and that's like a gi-less Jiu-Jitsu, so no, no gi. Uh, and he also has a black belt in Brazil, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, the gi style Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and and this, this one struck me as odd. I'm learning about Joe Rogan in ways I didn't know. In 2005, Wesley Snipes challenged Joe Rogan to a cage fight and Rogan accepted and trained for the event for five months before Snipes backed out. Now, I don't know too many people who would say yes to a cage fight with Wesley Snipes. Probably not Keith Olbermann, just to guess. I would say, no, sir, thank you very much for the cage fight offer, Mr. Snipes. You know, let's just go our separate ways. Uh, 
And now, okay, so that's all physicality stuff. Let's look at how Joe Rogan has run his podcast, his career. Uh, here's a quick list of some people that Joe Rogan has interviewed. He had Jack Dorsey on, but not to praise him. He had Jack Dorsey on to call him out and directly challenge him. And he brought Tim Pool on to specifically, with specifics, challenge Jack Dorsey. Now, Dorsey's a billionaire who does have some clout. That's kind of ballsy. He's had on the following people. Jordan Peterson, Alex Jones, Edward Snowden, Candace Owens, Stephen Crowder, Gavin McGinnis, Milo Yiannopoulos, Brett Weinstein, Ted Nugent, Majid Nawaz, Owen Benjamin, Stefan Molyneux, and Sargon of Akkad. That's like a who's who list of how to get canceled. All right? Now, mo like a lot of those people are banned from Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Some of them are banned from all three of those platforms. Interviewing any of those people threatens cancellation by the mob, kick being kicked off of your platform, all of that stuff. So to me, I look at this and I say, Joe Rogan's not a guy who seems particularly fearful to me. Um, and neither are the people that I see protesting mask mandates around the world or, or other mandates around the world, right? We, we've seen pictures of people getting beaten up by the police and spray, uh, pepper sprayed and arrested. They seem to me far more courageous than a lot of BLM mobs who are given a, you know, free pass to do whatever they wanted and burn down cities. So I don't know. It doesn't really jive with me that these people are afraid. That doesn't seem to comport with my view of who these people are. Um, and the ultimate thing that I'm noticing he's doing in this video is ultimately he is doing what leftists would call othering. Uh, he's desperately, and I say desperately because uh, of the histrionics and the dishonesty that he's used here, which we just talked about. Um, he's desperately trying to remove uh, any remnants of empathy that his followers might have for this group of people. He's, he's, his goal is to, is to tear down any empathy anyone has left for this group, right? He's trying to dehumanize them by any means necessary. He's willing to mischaracterize, ad hominem, lie, doing all the, do all this stuff. Um, and, you know, I look at this video and I don't see a product of a well-reasoned, you know, cool confidence in your position, like this argument back. It's not an intellectual response to Joe Rogan. It's an emotional response. Um, and frankly, I look at this, this video, I don't see it as a particularly courageous rant. It's a rant. I rant. We all rant. Uh, it's not a particularly courageous rant. No one's going to cancel this dude for this rant, right? None of his friends at MSNBC or wherever the hell he works are, are going to, they're not going to shun him or make his life harder or dock his pay or not let him, you know, <laughs> go to the grocery store or go to a concert. Like, no one's going to bother him for this. He's not going to be shunned. He'll probably be praised, right? He has zero skin in the game, as they say. He's got virtually no repercussions for this rant. It's like when people say, oh, I'm against racism. It's like, all right, well, belief for you. Right, like no one. You just, that's not courageous. No one likes racism. Um, you don't. You don't. You don't suffer any. There's no. You don't suffer anything for for saying that. Um, you might have a hundred years ago, but you don't now. Um, 
you know, it, he's just behaving like a kind of like a, one of those terrier dogs for the cathedral, right? He's yap, he's yapping at the wrong thinkers. So, you know, for all his ranting about how afraid other people are, when I watch this video of Keith Olbermann, what it looks like to me is a fight or flight response. What it looks like to me is fear. <laughs> looks like fear to me. Sorry, but that's what it looks like. Um, which leads me to completely unrelated, uh, the word for the day, which we'll define. The word for today is projection. Now there's lots of definitions for projection. Um, mathematical, spiritual, theater related stuff. We're gonna scroll all the way down to the sense in which I'm interested in it. And by the way, this is a nice easy one today because it's actually, I think, pretty well defined here. We'll go to 6C. It says originally in Chufi psychology, that's the one I'm looking for. The unconscious transfer of one's desires or emotions to another person or some external object. All righty. Uh, I think that's actually a pretty damn good definition. I think they've done a fine job here this time. I don't have a lot of quibbles with this OED uh, definition. So let's just put it back in the hierarchy that we always talk about. Let's let's fit that. What's the parent category, and what are the? How does it different from the siblings? Uh, I look at this, and I don't think there's a lot of work to be done here. I think it's pretty pretty done done well in this definition. But I say, okay, well, this is a member. It's in the category of a relationship between one person and another person or objects. It's a relationship. It's a type of relationship, right? Uh, and the different. How's it different from other type of relationships? Well, uh, in this particular relationship, the first person unconsciously transfers their desires or emotion onto the other person or object. Like, all right, pretty straightforward. Um, pretty easy today. I wanted to make the this part of the show actually easier today because the, the rest of the show might be a little bit longer than normal. But uh, I just, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for a minute and do some super chats because we have some. Thank you guys. I love I love that we have super chats. Um, I would like to start interacting more, so I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a uh, point of doing that. So let's see. Let me pull up the first one. Uh, Eric Grooms, that's about as much as I figured it was actually about. Yeah, okay, great, rejection. Uh, Power Tomsky says, we call these people Jewish, afraid, the only problem of our society, afraid. Sorry, just swap some words out. This won't end badly, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't remind me of anything, right? Um, and uh, let's see, I'm missing another one. G-Man. I don't know why this one's not shown up here. Sorry, G-Man. It says, I wasn't going to get the jab, but I really don't want Keith Olbermann to think that I'm a scaredy cat. Calling the clinic tomorrow. Yeah, that was my response as well, buddy. Um, same thing. I'm concerned about what he thinks uh, from his penthouse. Uh, another one from Pyrotomsky who says, Olbermann slash Rogan cage match. <laughs> Throw some jello on them. Give Olbermann a chance at least. I Would that give him a chance? I don't know if... I don't know if it would, but that's a great idea, Pyrotomsky, the uh, Olbermann-Rogan cage match. All right, let's do some nerdy 
philosophy today. Um, I get asked a lot um, some version of the question, what makes Western civilization better, right? Um, I get a lot of questions along this line. And by better, sometimes people mean like worth saving or like generally better for its inhabitants by some standard of like health or standard of living or happiness or moral standards. Um, one version of the question, the way it's phrased is like, what are the values we need to save from Western civilization? They're all kind of variants on the same thing. Uh, and frankly, I think it's an excellent question. In fact, I think it might be the most important question to be able to answer. It might be the entire point of everything we're doing is to be able to answer that question. Um, because I, I'm not sure I haven't like weighted against other questions, but it's a big question. It's a big, big question. Um, I have an answer that I've worked out and I could just tell you the answer, which, which I will. I mean, I could say, look, fundamentally the differentiating values of Western civilization that matter are objective metaphysics, reason as an epistemological standard and individual aesthetics. I could just throw that out. But there's two problems with me just throwing that out and being done. Um, first of all, none of that really means anything unless we have a shared understanding of what all those words and terms are, uh, which is work in and of itself. But second, um, this would just be what I'm saying, which is just kind of an arbitrary assertion, uh, which you should kind of dismiss out of hand because that's just me saying something. Um, it's much better if you figure that out for yourself. So today we're not going to try to answer this question of like, what are the values we need to save, even though I think that's a crucial question. Because what I really want, my goal will be to, uh, to have all of us kind of understand and be confident in that understanding and be intellectually armed to make a difference in the world with that understanding of what the answer to that question is. And I think the only way to do that is if you arrive at this your own and it on your own and it's not something that can be deduced logically, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, if it could be deduced logically, if it was like, oh, you know, everyone agrees, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal, like QED. We could go away, that would be easy, but that's not the kind of question this is. Um, and there's no real substitute for doing it yourself. Sorry. Uh, and I think it's actually even a longer and more involved in question than it might appear at first. So I'm going to do today kind of a rushed sketch of what an inductive process, an inductive-like, it's not even full induction, an inductive-like process might kind of look like. Um, and before I do that, I want to just clarify a couple terms because I think sometimes people get uh, maybe confused about the purposes or, or utility or value um, or role of deduction versus induction. So you know the, that concept hierarchy we've talked about. Um, you can, of course, if you have some higher level concepts, you can deduce, or even adjacent concepts, you can deduce new things from old things. So for example, I just said the, the famous one, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal, that's deduction, right? And that's where you see all the lot, you know, people say, 
oh, that's a logical fallacy. Most of those, not all, but most of those fallacies are, are deductive fallacies. Um, or someone says like, oh, therefore Socrates is all men or something. Like they make some, some error, right? Um, that's deduction. Induction, you, you, like, you, how do you start, right? If, you, if, if deduction is what we're going to do, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. How do we know all men are mortal? How do we know Socrates is a man? How do you get that information? You can't deduce that from some other principle. You can't deduce all men are mortal from some other principle, really, um, unless you've already figured out something else, like all animals are mortal and men are animals. Um, ultimately, you, you don't get any starting points. You don't get any premises without the other side of reasoning, which is induction. Induction gives you your premises. Um, and it's long and it's time consuming and it's complicated when you try to do it like deliberately. Um, and mostly, most of your induction that you've done in your life has been intuitive as you're a child, right? You see, you hear the same sounds over and over again and eventually you're like, oh, that sound means mom. And you say the word mom or whatever language you're speaking in. So induction is a process of looking out at reality and kind of empirically saying, all these things go together somehow and they're different from these things and I'm gonna form a concept out of these things. Like that's what induction is. And we actually can't answer, like to answer the question of what matters about Western civilization or what needs to be saved or some kind of variant of that, um, we need to use induction um, and we can't do it intuitively. I don't, well, I can't, maybe some of you, some of you are gonna. Um, all right, so I'm looking in chat. Uh, <laughs> Teresa says, well, the fact that there aren't one with a whole bunch of zeros, people on the planet tells you that people are mortal. Uh, maybe. But you don't know that without induction. You actually don't know anything without induction. You start with induction. Um, you know, a baby doesn't, you're not born with a bunch of inherent concepts in your head as a baby and like, I'm going to deduce that these are chairs, right? You learn that from experiential data. Okay, so I'm gonna just talk, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna give a sketch of what I think this process should look like. Hopefully, if you do it, you arrive at an answer that's similar to mine. If not, at least one of us is wrong maybe both. If that's the case, you know, we can do the courtesy of uh, each other, the courtesy of having a conversation about it and, and pointing out errors and trying to correct each other. Uh, you know, no one is perfect here. Uh, so we do need to, part of being a non, uh, what's the word? Part of being a non-omniscient being is that you need to actively be trying to look for errors in your, your thinking and correct them. So I'm not gonna focus on actually answering that question, uh, you know, what values do we need to save, by what metric, but I, I'm gonna kind of get close to, I'm gonna kind of sketch how I, I would answer it. Um, but the focus is really gonna be how do we go about discovering it? So to do this, we're gonna need uh, our clear reasoning minds going on tonight. Uh, as I mentioned, it's a little bit ironic for me, um, given my, my kind of mental fog right now, but, I am, I'm gonna use a leftist word, guys, sorry. This might be, some of this might be a little bit triggering <laughs> for some people. 
Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask that you kind of just separate your feelings. They kind of need to be thrown out when we're doing this analysis. Um, and the reason it's triggering is sometimes when this topic is brought up about Western civilization, sometimes I get very passionate responses from Christians. Some of them are polite and nice, like, well, the founding fathers are all Christian, so it seems like the answer is Christianity. Done. That's the differentiating factor about Western civilization. Um, and that's true enough, but I think it's overly simplistic, uh, as you'll see in a minute. Uh, some of the, you know, some of the responses are kind of condescending, like, don't you realize that the answer is, and like, some of them are kind of, you know, just angry. Obviously, it's Christianity, you atheist jerk. So I am going to talk about, as we go through this, I am going to talk about why Christianity is an insufficient at best answer. Um, I'm not going to say it's not involved. I don't think it needs to be involved, but we're not even going to go down there today. I'm not going to make that argument. I am going to show think that it's not sufficient. So, which is important because if we're going to save values from Western civilization, Christianity is not a sufficient answer if Christianity is not sufficient. So, sorry if that triggers you. Here we go. Um, and by, oh, let, let me just pause for a second just to allay any, because I know we have some, some Christians and, you know, we're friends and I love you guys. Um, if you are Christian and you think the answer here is obvious, like I said, I invite you to put your beliefs aside for a moment and approach this with me, you know, without without that. If you go down this path separate from Christianity, just using your reason, if you go down that path and it turns out that you empirically see that all the signs point to Christianity being the key to Western civilization, then great. Like you've validated your arguments now and your previous argument, which is only based on faith and a feeling is now based on also, it's been fortified as, the, as they would say, it's been fortified by reason and it's that much stronger and probably more convincing to other people. So it can only help you. If it turns out that you do this empirically and you decide, oh, Christianity actually isn't the, the only sufficient condition, it's not the only cornerstone, then it, that doesn't need to invalidate your beliefs. This is your beliefs in Christianity are not threatened here. I assume your faith isn't that fragile. I mean, it's been a while since I read the Bible, but I don't remember the part where Jesus said, you know, yay, I am the son of God and I come bringing bicameral constitutional republics. Like that's not a thing. So uh, you don't have to feel threatened. Okay, so um, also, even Christian or not, even if you think you know the answer to this question, put the answer aside for a minute. Let's just start fresh. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna do my best to put my answer aside, although I'm using my answer kind of as a template. So, ask this question: How do we figure out what 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 matters? What needs what's worth saving in uh, in Western civilization? <laughs> Rebecca P says, "Wow, trigger warnings in our unsafe community seems unnecessary." I would hope that it is unnecessary, but uh, Rebecca, but I, you know. Some, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's unnecessary. If it's totally unnecessary, everyone just tell me to shut the hell up and I won't ever do that again. Okay, so first we need to make this, we don't need to, but it's, it's helpful to make this question much more concrete. When we say Western civilization, we need to know what the hell are we talking about? What does this mean, right? I mean, there's what, roughly 50 countries in Europe. Uh, does Australia count? Is it the US? Is it Canada? Is it Mexico? 
Are we talking about present day? Does 13th century France count? What about ancient Greece? Because if I take a, like a history of Western civilization, ancient Greece and 13th century France might be part of it, right? Um, and so I'm going to say, okay, well, we need to, we need to, guys, I just said, put your, put your conclusions aside and follow me in the process. And people are like, here's my conclusions. Ah, I got to type them in the chat. Relax guys. Just have no conclusions right now. It's okay. We're going to take the journey. So let's like, what is Western civilization? Um, I think when most people talk about preserving Western civilization, they are thinking specifically, and if you disagree with this, then you go on a different tangent when you answer this question. But I think most people, when they're talking about preserving Western civilization, they're thinking specifically of post-enlightenment, right? People aren't thinking we need to bring back Charles III of France. Like that's not a thing. People aren't like, oh, that's the Western civilization we need. They're thinking about post-enlightenment Western civilization. Um, they, you know, we've been in kind of the modern West for a while and there was things that people liked about it and they feel like it's decaying and falling apart. And so it's, it's this kind it's that kind of modern, it's not, it's post-enlightenment. It's not, it's probably even more recent than post-enlightenment in most people's minds, but it's definitely not the middle ages. No one's asking that usually. And if that's what you want to save, go for it. That's not how I mean it. Um, so, you know, you, if you're looking to save the middle ages, go, go your own way. You don't have to pay attention to me anymore. So I also want to point out, we haven't defined here what it means to be better or worth saving. Let's put that question aside for a second. It doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, it will matter, but pick, pick what we want to do to concretize this a little bit better is to pick the area, the country that best kind of exemplifies whatever you're talking about when you say it's the best, right? And again, we don't have to do this. You could actually piece together a, an imaginary version of the ideal of Western civilization in your head and say that's what needs to be saved. But it's it's often easier to do this with concrete. And if we're going to use empirical information, we kind of need a concrete to look at. So um, recognize that no matter where you pick, no place that you pick and no time in history will have no contradictions and no errors and no hypocrisies and no flaws. There is no, there's going to be no perfect example, right? So my pick for this when, when I'm doing this exercise is the United States. Uh, I think that the U.S. is the best representation of what I think is, quote, better or worth saving about Western civilization. And really, I should have to justify why to you, um, but because uh, you could certainly have a definition of better that does not include the U.S., right? There's easy ways to do that. Um, so I would have to define what I mean, what like what do I mean by better? Why are they important? I'd have to convince you of that definition, and then I'd have to make a compelling argument about why the U.S. is the best example. I'm not going to do that for a couple of reasons. One, it's a long time. I'm going to skip it. Two, most people that ask me this question would probably pick the U.S. anyway. So it's easy. Pyrotomsky, maybe, I don't he might pick the U.K., I don't know. But uh, most people that ask me this question would pick the U.S. Uh, and we have enough to argue about and analyze. We can. There's no point in going down the road of arguing over which country represents it the best. So as I said, there's going to be contradictions. The U.S., obviously, 
full of contradictions. It was never a perfect representation of the values that are most worth saving and whatever they are, because it has internal contradictions. So, you, you know, it couldn't be a perfect representation of them. Um, and you know, that's true because if, <laughs> let's assume if you accept that today, the United States is not a perfect representation of whatever those values are. And if you accept that one of the requirements for these values is that when they're perfectly implemented, they perpetuate themselves so they don't self-destruct, then you have to conclude that the U.S. must never have been a perfect implementation of them because the U.S. did indeed self-destruct. <laughs> like, it's not perfect. So it's kind of obvious. So remember, we're trying to find this proxy. We're trying to find a proxy, a concrete proxy in the real world that, that can be a stand-in for this abstract concept of Western civilization, and, and, we're, and we're using the U.S. Um, okay. It's similar, by the way, like you need to know the definition of a perfect circle, even though you'll never be able to draw a perfect circle, right? Okay, so now we need to clarify our question a little bit. Um, you know, before we can identify the, the values that are exemplified by the US that are worth preserving or however we wanna phrase it, um, we have to be able to answer an even more fundamental question, which is what values make the United States different? It's not the same question, right? What values make the US different? Because if we don't know what makes the United States different than anywhere else, we're going to have a hard time arguing why there's anything special worth saving, right? If there's no difference, then there's nothing worth saving. So, um, you know, of course, different implies different from something different from what? Right? And of course, the US isn't a static thing, either it's changed and it's evolved over time. So we're not really asking about the United States as it exists today or in any particular period in the past. We're really curious about what set the United States on the trajectory that it's been on for the past 200 years or 200 and whatever since its founding, right? That's the question's like, well, what's, what's different about how it was founded? Like what makes it a different nation than Spain, right? Or Brazil or you know, Chad. So if we put all this together, uh, we can maybe frame our question a little bit more clearly because you want to get a, you want to get as clear as possible. So then we could say, okay, what's different about the founding values of the United States as compared to all the other countries in the world? And if we want to be even more explicit, which I think we should be, because we're trying to get as much data here and be as clear as possible we should be explicit about what other countries we're talking about. So let's add something to this. Let's add time. So let's say what the question is, what is different about the founding values of the United States as compared to all other countries in the world throughout all of history? That's a much more specific question. And that's a question that is easier. Well, it's not easy, but it's possible to look at empirically. Until we have some sort of clearer definition, we can't really use empirical data to make an evaluation of this. But we have to, we have to kind of answer this question empirically now. We gotta say, okay. I mean, ultimately, actually, it has to be answered by induction, right? Not deduction, it has to be answered empirically. But we have to say, okay, well, we've got founding documents of the US, right? We have, where is it? I have a constitution, I got a constitution. I can, okay, I can look through that. 
We even have with the US, we've got Federalist Papers, we've got Anti-Federalist Papers, we can read all about what the Founding Fathers thought and why they did this and what disagreements they had and what they were thinking and how they viewed themselves as different. And we have founding documents uh, of other countries. Um, and when we don't have founding documents, we have historical accounts, at least of other countries. So we got lots of data we could theoretically sift through. I'm not saying you have to read every founding document of every country in, it, in the world, but all that data is there. You could empirically be like, all right, I'm going to go compare the values here versus these and kind of see what's different about the US. Um, now, remember, right now we're looking for what makes the US different. That's not going to answer the question, what are all of the values that need to be preserved, right? That there might be some values in the US that they share with other countries throughout history. And those values are necessary to preserve a society, but they're not sufficient for Western civilization to thrive. And this is the part we're going to start, we might get triggering, but we'll see. Um, for example, let's just give an example. Most cultures throughout history might share the value murder is wrong, right? And we definitely want to preserve that value. That's definitely a value we want to preserve. Uh, in fact, if we correctly identify the values that make Western civilization unique, uh, that one will turn out to just be a derivative of other more fundamental values. But we definitely want to preserve it. But that doesn't mean that murder is wrong is a sufficient value for <laughs> building and sustaining uh, a civilization for a thriving civilization. You can't, you can't build the thriving Western style civilization based on murder is wrong. It's insufficient, right? True enough, murder is wrong, but you need more. So, uh, you know, we do eventually have to answer the question, what are all the values that need to be preserved? But because we've said something, there's, there's something special about Western civilization, and we're saying now it's represented by the United States, we know that at least some of the values are different from those of others, right? And especially from countries that are outside the scope of our post-enlightenment Western civilization thing, right? So like the murder is wrong, right? That might've been true in ancient Greece, but that's outside the scope of our post-enlightenment Western civilization. So, uh, you know, we know that there's gotta be some values that are different than things like China, ancient Greece, 13th century France, right? Um, so let's take another, so, so murder was wrong. Okay, that's shared, that's not different. What if I were to say, obviously, this is another dumb one, right? Obviously the thing that makes the United States special, the thing worth preserving is that we drink water. Well, again, you'd have to dismiss that as a differentiating factor, right? Maybe we do need to drink water to survive, but drinking water is not sufficient for thriving Western society. Because um, all societies throughout history, China drinks water, right? Um, it's not different, North Korea does. Similarly, if I were to say, obviously a democratic system is what differentiates Western civilization, as exemplified by the United States, from less successful and less desirable societies. Again, you have to dismiss that as a differentiating factor. Ancient Greece had a form of democracy, as did Rome, as does Venezuela, as does Iraq, right? You might be able to argue that some form of democracy or a democratic system is a necessary condition 
I don't think it is, but you might you might be able to argue make that argument, but you couldn't argue that it's a differentiator. You couldn't argue that it's sufficient or that it's a, it's a differentiator that America has. It's not the thing that sets America apart because other places have it and have had it. So now let's try the most triggering answer. If I were to say, obviously it's Christianity that's responsible for the unique success of the United States. If you wanted to maintain intellectual honesty here, you'd have to ask yourself, have there been other Christian countries in the past 2000 years? You'd have to admit, first of all, uh, there's nothing unique about a Christian population, even an explicitly Christian government, that's not unique. You might even notice that uh, Bolivia's population is pretty Christian today, um, you know, more than the US. Or you might be a Protestant, you might say that's Catholic, it doesn't count, okay? Zimbabwe is pretty Protestant, definitely more religious than the US. Would you wanna to move to Zimbabwe, right? And if you think about it, come to think about it, actually um, explicitly religious governments ruled Europe for 1500 years or so prior to the enlightenment, not the thing we're trying to reproduce. Viewed objectively, you can't simply say, well, Christianity is the differentiating factor that's responsible for the unique success of the US. It's demonstrably false to say that. Now that's not proof, it's not proof that Christianity isn't a necessary condition. Obviously as an atheist, I don't think it is, but we, ha we haven't given any evidence for that. I haven't said Christianity is clearly not a necessary condition. I've given no evidence that it's not necessary, but it's pretty undeniable that it's not a sufficient condition. Now, I know like some, some people will argue that it's unfair to make the comparison between Christianity in the Middle Ages and Christianity in the modern times. And, and I've heard this as well. They will argue that, well, religions change, the new interpretations of the scripture are fundamentally different from the misinterpretations of the, the medieval priests in the past. Uh, <laughs> stop being so ass covering with the Christian thing. Uh, maybe I, I'm gonna continue a little bit <laughs> naughty design, but I, I hear the message in the future, maybe I'll stop. Okay, so people will say, look, you can't compare the two. Um, well, if that's true, then we have to go back to the drawing board and ask ourselves, why did we not pick Italy or Portugal as representatives of Western civilization? Both of those are more religious than the United States today. And if modern Christianity is the differentiating factor, and both of these countries are modern first world Western civilization countries, why aren't they the shining examples uh, of the values that need to be preserved? But it really doesn't matter actually, because if you're making the argument that only certain interpretations of Christianity are the differentiating factors behind the success of the United States, then you are arguing that the differentiating factor is the Bible plus something else, plus some interpretation that I'm sure you think is painfully obvious to everyone who bothers to read the Bible, except that it's not. Right, And we can look at this empirically. Even the Southern Baptist Convention right now is struggling as we speak with leaders who insist on interpreting scripture in a way that justifies social justice, right? Now you can call them bad Christians all you want. Maybe they are. But the fact remains, there are plenty of people who read the Bible and don't see it your way. 
what you could try to argue, and the case that I actually think is much stronger, if you want to make it, is that the biblical interpretations of certain Christian thinkers, maybe Thomas Aquinas, people like John Locke, are differentiating factors. You could make that argument, right? But if your defense on Western civilization is nothing more than, we need to get back to the Bible, understand that you're not you're failing your mission to save western civilization at that point it's not a convincing argument it's not a con- so okay i'll do enough of this um so let's get back to our question what's different about the founding values of the united states as compared to all other countries in the world throughout all of history so that question can take a long time to answer through actual induction right so you're going to examine the principles and values of other countries compare them to the united states I'm not going to work through all this in the show. Again, what I said I was doing is giving you a quick sketch of kind of like what the inductive process would kind of sort of look like. But that's that's what you'd have to do. So um, you know what to do. You know how to do it. My answer, when I do that, I come up with uh, kind of the primary answer that I come up with uh, is what's different about the United States is the explicit recognition of individual rights as existing independent of, antecedent to, and ascendant over government. That was new. That was new. Revolutionary France didn't have it. They were born about the same time. They read the same Enlightenment thinkers. Some of the Enlightenment thinkers kind of sucked, let's be honest, right? Now, that, that differentiation can be expanded a little bit. There are some other differentiating factors. But my conclusion is that that's kind of the primary one. Um, no other government in history, at least that I know of, was founded uh, on as much distrust of itself and with as many self-imposed limitations as was the United States. It's unprecedented. Um, and, you know, this distrust, by the way, it was explicit both in the documents and in, you know, Actually, instead of the Federalist Papers, I recommend, like, read the Anti-Federalist Papers. It's very explicit, their distrust of what they were building. And the intent of the founders, or at least at least most of the founders, was to clearly prevent the exact situation that we find ourselves in today. They wanted to prevent this. So clearly they made some errors, but that's what I, that's what I come to as, as the differentiating factor. If you've chosen the US, you need to come to that conclusion on your own by, you know, it doesn't take that long. Read the Constitution, read the Federalist Papers and Anti-Federalist Papers, look around at history at some other countries and documents, you know, read a little bit about revolutionary France and England and some other places and go, okay, I think you'll come to something that's a similar, you might word it a little bit differently, but I think you'll come to a similar conclusion. At least I hope if you don't, let's have a conversation. So even once you decide that, even you say, okay, now I know what the differentiating factor is or the main differentiating factor. That's just a fraction of what you need to know to correctly answer our question. What are the essential values that Western civilization, that, that we should preserve from Western civilization, right? Because remember, we're asking like, what are the differentiating values? Um, and I, I came up with one thing, but those are just differentiating values. To answer the question of what all the values are, you have to go back in history and ask another empirical question. What are the non-differentiating values that are essential? And this is kind of like asking the question, well, what values do all stable cultures seem to share, right? 
Um, and you'll find things like murder's bad. Okay. <laughs> like that should be in there somewhere, right? Like there are some things that are shared that you'll see across the board. Um, that, that seem to kind of work. And ideally what you do after that is you try and integrate these shared values that are kind of necessary, that seem necessary. You integrate those with the differentiating values that seem to make the US special or whatever you want to call it. Um, and hopefully you're able to identify some philosophic premises that you think all these other things rely on, right? Ideally, that's your goal. You're like, is, are there some principles that we can kind of like obtain from this, that these things kind of rely on? Uh, for example, I think you can reach the, I think you can inductively reach the conclusion that man's primary means of survival is his functioning rational mind. I think you can do that through induction, right? Um, and that's a kind of a principle that will matter when you think about philosophy. And you can, you can kind of answer some of these principles. And I think maybe, maybe you'll get somewhere close to the answer that I gave at the beginning, which was, well, what's required is objective metaphysics. Non-objective metaphysics doesn't work really well. What's required as reason as an epistemological standard that's used philosophically and individualist ethics, which has a particular meaning. Um, and actually beyond that, I'm not sure about what's required politically. I'm actually not really sure what the political answer is. As I think most of you know, like I'm kind of an anarchist by default. I'm kind of an anarchist because I don't know the right, <laughs> I don't know what to do government wise. Uh, I know that some things are better than others. Um, and so that's okay. Uh, I, I certainly, I certainly, you know, prefer some things. I think the founding fathers did a, a great job, but I don't know the, exactly the right answer. I don't think it's as obvious uh, as people make it out to be. Um, but even then, I'm a little bit worried that the answer would be incomplete, right? Because the more I learn about psychology or the inheritability of cognitive repertoires, or the more I think about what the hell do we actually do with this, you know, to stop a system from devolving into mob rule? Um, what do you do with a bunch of people who like desperately want to be told what to do? Uh, you know, the more I think about those questions, the kind of the more respect I have for the experiment that the founding fathers of the US rolled the dice on. It didn't work, ultimately. Um, it started the fall away part right away, and it had some internal contradictions right away. Um, but, you know, gotta respect them for trying and for getting something, I mean, at least it was the best place for a while, right? That's not bad. Um, and I know that I'm making the induction, I know that I'm making this, I've just laid this out to seem like what might be an insurmountable task. Like you've gotta, you've gotta arrive at some of this stuff through induction. It's, I'm not trying to scare you away from this. It's, it's, it's doable, it's not that hard. Um, you know, just take some time to think through it know why you think what you think. Don't settle on a conclusion if you don't know why you think that. And you iterate over time uh, to get to your conclusions. Um, so again, to do this would have to ask, induce what empirically is different about the US? What are the shared values that successful cultures, not just the US, share? Um, 
do they integrate into a philosophic system that, and, and I know some Christians might say, yes, it's a system based on Christianity with this particular interpretation on top of it. Okay, fine. I don't think that's what it is, but you've got, you've got something integrated. Okay, good. Now, now you can start saying, okay, great. Now I know what I need to save. Now we know what to fight for. We know what we need to save to try and move forward. Um, and look, the good news is we kind of, we kind of know what works generally, uh, at least for a couple hundred years. We have a blueprint, sort of. We have the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, it's broken. It's got some errors, but hmm, it's better than everything else, like I said. Um, and if we're intellectually honest and we hold ourselves accountable to think, even when that makes us feel uncomfortable uh, and not just react, if we don't evade uneasy feelings when someone makes an argument and makes us feel icky and uneasy or angry, if we don't evade that, and we put the work into think and we prioritize this, I think we can easily build something better than the US. Not perfect. I don't know what perfect actually looks like. I think there's a lot of factors here, but I know what better might look like. Um, and I think a lot of you do as well. And please don't say build back better because I don't want to sound like Joe Biden. Um, and I'm trying, I was trying to end this in an hour and I think I'm about to hit it, so this is good. Uh, I'm gonna look at a couple of super chats though because uh, I just want to make sure I'm not make sure I'm not missing you guys. Um, Miguel says God-given rights and meritocracy helps. Yeah, so you'd have to ask yourself, like, okay, well, um, what are those rights? What do they mean? Uh, how, like, can they contradict each other? What, you know, what what does that look like? What's the justification for them? Do you need to have God give them? Um, what if someone else? claims that God gives different rights or whatever. What, what, how do you handle that? Meritocracy. Okay. Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, meritocracy implies value judgment, right? It implies, so if, if you say you earn something on merit, what does that mean? It means that there's judging, someone's judging that, right? Um, obviously, and obviously that has to happen in a meritocracy and I'm not saying meritocracies are bad, but you could argue, well, ancient China was a meritocracy because you, if you did well on the tests, you got the appointments to the government institutions and like, that's how you got ahead. Is that the kind of meritocracy you mean? Or do you mean the meritocracy of the free market in which people who provide goods and services that most, that the, the, a large number of people voluntarily want to pay for rise to the top? Okay, um, that's a different kind, but the free market, Mm, that that means you get people that rise to the top are people that are that the mob wants, and if the mob is good and rational, you get goodness, and if the mob sucks, you get Cardi B. I don't know the answer. I'm just throwing that out some questions. Um, Pirate Tomsky says uh, the foundation of docs like the Constitution were based in the Magna Carta. Took a long time, but we made great steps in a thousand years. Now progressives, i.e., communists, want to go back. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know they were based on the Magna Carta, but I do think that there's some philosophy that's explicitly different and called out specifically in the foundation docs. But like I said, Pirate Tomsky might want to argue that it's the UK, um, which is fine. We can have that discussion. Um, my guess is that he would argue that it's the UK because of the same uh, ideas that I'm trying to argue for the US. It doesn't really matter which is the representative. What matters is what do we reach agreement on the values that we need to preserve. Um, 
I <laughs> progressives do want progressive. I love that you're saying progressives in quotes, Power Thompson, because I can't stand that they're called progressive. It's like they're the most anti-progress people. They're literally progressives are what they label the people in the UK right now, like laying down in front of the streets and not letting people make any pro like go anywhere. They're literally the people stopping forward motion on highways uh, in the name of climate change or whatever the hell they're doing. Um, those are progressive. It's such a backwards newspeak thing. Um, G-Man says, is it really that the founding fathers were wrong though? Or is it more that we've bastardized their vision slowly over time? Well, I'd, uh, I wish I had the quote in front of me. Uh, I would quote Lysander Spooner to you. I'm not necessarily saying that their philosophy was wrong. In fact, I mean, they're there were some clear contradictions, right? I mean, slavery is in the Constitution, which contradicts individual rights. So clearly, there's some contradictions. So when I say they were wrong, um, we could have an argument about the nuances in which their philosophy might have been incorrect. Although I think that's a minor, we're getting into some minor nits. It's the implementation that was wrong. Like they clearly made some mistakes because either the constitution intended for us to get here, in which case it sucks and is ineffective. I'm paraphrasing Lysander Spooner or the constitution didn't stop us from getting here, in which case it sucks and was ineffective. <laughs> I don't mean sucks, you know, compared to other, you know, compared to what, right? But, um, there's clearly errors. And that's what I mean. There's clearly errors. We got here. So there's errors. Right. Um, and it might be, I mean, my one of my fears is that we need to understand more about human psychology and some other factors. Um, I think, I also think it's one of the reasons I'm very skeptical of universal suffrage. Uh, because it <laughs> creates an environment in which everyone feels like they have the right to control everyone else. Um, and you end up with mob rule at the end of the day. So, you know, I don't know. We could argue about what the errors were, but I think it's clear that there were errors. Um, so, and those, and, and again, those errors might've been, you need something in addition to just the constitution. I don't know, or it needs to do something else. Rebecca P says, do shared values only work if the population is principled enough to live based on the values? Does the left slash woke mob have principles? That's a great question, Rebecca. Um, yeah, so I do think, I do think it's ultimately impossible. I, I don't think populations with massively disparate philosophic values can coexist for long. I don't think that's possible. Um, so in that sense, uh, shared values do only work if the population is principled enough. My concern about the value, the values and the, and the, and the problem is values aren't something that you argue someone into. You can maybe, uh, certain people, right? But I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced of the role that psychology plays in people's disposition and openness to certain ideas, especially as we see what Josh Slocum calls this cluster B crisis uh, in society right now, and especially from the, the woke left. So 
you know, it's why I say like, well, if if I were in a country that was, let's say I was in a country that everyone was like the unsafe space community. I'm not saying everyone in the unsafe space community is awesome, but most of you are pretty awesome, or at least we share enough values. Like, it kind of doesn't matter what the government looked like. We could appoint Pirate Tomsky as the king, and he wouldn't really be able to get away with much that we didn't approve of, because we'd if he started doing horrible things and we all kind of agreed what horrible things looked like, we would remove him. Um, and he probably would be raised in this culture in a similar way and wouldn't want to be doing horrible things. Like, and I'm not saying monarchy is the best thing. I'm just saying like, even in that situation would probably be better off than if we had the most beautifully written limited government constitution, republic, blah, blah, blah. But you throw us in, um, you know, with all the people who follow CNN's YouTube page, right? Like, it's like, all right, well, probably they'll just ruin whatever it is. So, um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but like that's that's what I think is an for me is an open question. Like, how do you build a population? You can't just say these are the right ideas. How do you make sure those ideas propagate? Is a really important question. And I'm I think I have some ideas about some of those answers, but not completely. Um, and the second part of your question: Does the left mob, uh, the left or woke mob, have principles? Uh it's weird. We throw this term principles around like. Every, like everyone's in agreement on, like when I say principles, what I'm usually meaning is uh, a pretty integrated conceptual hierarchy where you don't have contradictions between say your concept of individual rights and whatever you're arguing should be done with the mortgage crisis, like, like specific things, like you're taking a principled approach. Um, when you say like, for example, I don't think people should be forced to, or I don't think people should be, um, the government shouldn't be able to tell people what to put in their bodies. Okay, well, that means I have to be okay with heroin legalization. I think it's a horrible idea to inject heroin, but, and I don't like it, and I don't recommend it, and I don't want people doing it. I think it's horrible. But if I'm going to stand on the principle, then I've got to say, yeah, it should be legal. I can, you know, I can try and convince them not to do it and whatever. And, but that only works if I have a principle that I'm that's fundamental to some some higher principles, and that there's a there's a clear integrated hierarchy. If I've got a bunch of stuff that's just which most people do, a bunch of floating rules in my head for like people should do this, but also this, and I, they're not even integrated and they conflict with each other, then are those principles? Not really, uh, and I don't think the left or woke mob ha I, they either don't have any, which I think is mostly the case. Um, I think they're mostly reacting uh, psychologically to what's going on and not intellectually. And they're they're letting their their elephant is running around and their rider is just letting the elephant, as you know, Jonathan Haidt's analogy with the rider and elephant, the rider is just like justifying the elephant's rampage. I think that characterizes not just the left woke mob, although mostly them, but a lot of other people in society as well. So uh, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but like, I, but I think there are a few leftists. Maybe what what Carrie calls the high priests and priestesses. I think there are a few that have principles, and they are evil principles. Um, which is what my one of my friends, who was an atheist and is now, I guess she would call herself Christian. No, I'm not totally sure, but I think so. Um, 
that's one of the reasons she was interested in Christianity was because she saw that some of these people have principles and they're evil principles. And she started the interest in Christianity specifically because she said, well, I really like this metaphor of like the devil and demons. Cause it's like, that seems like what's going on. Um, and it started for her as just a metaphor. And I think now she's, I think she would just call herself a full blown Christian. All right. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer. Kobula uh, says, the problem is democracy. When a larger group can impose rules on a smaller group, you eventually ruin everything. But I don't know the solution. Hey, buddy, I am with you on that. And by the way, if you say something like that, the problem is democracy. A lot of people who claim to be patriots and care about Western civilization will jump on you for that, and they'll be like, how could you say that? I mean, even... even <laughs> Republican presidents are running around saying we have to spread democracy or like democracy is viewed as the thing. Um, but you know who's on your side? Most of the founding fathers, they were terrified of democracy. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, democracy is, is, I don't actually know if democracy is better than or worse than monarchy. And I'm dead serious, like direct monarchy and direct democracy. I think it entirely depends on the psychology of the king and the and the general psychology of the population, right? I don't even know Pirate Tomsky very well, and I, but I've already used him as my king example, so I'll, I'll use it again. I'll use him again. Uh, I'd rather have Pirate Tomsky as the king than be in a direct democracy uh, full of Wokies, right? Wouldn't you? So... Pirate says, I am the king mofo. All right, Pirate Tomsky. It's going to your head too much. Gene Ellis says, perhaps the principles need to be in a hierarchy. Yeah, I guess what I didn't say clearly and, I, and what I mean to say there is I don't call them principles unless they're in a hierarchy and they're integrated. I just call them abstractions. They're just concepts if they're not in there. So I think they have concepts that they might call principle, principles, but I don't think... I don't, it would be interesting to maybe define the word principle because I haven't really thought of what that definition should be, but I don't think of it as a principle unless it's integrated in not in a non-contradictory way into that concept hierarchy. Then you get to call it a principle. But if it's just there and detached from other things, then it's, it's not a principle. It doesn't, it, no, nothing flows from it. Things, something has to flow from principles. There has to be like, oh, this means that this is how it gets applied. Principles get applied to reality. And if your principle is just, I think a lot of people, instead of principles, they have bromides. They have like sayings, like just things, things that they say, right? That are just kind of catchphrases that are popular. Um, and, you know, that's it. That's, you know, it shouldn't be selfish. Well, what the hell does that mean? Right? Or, or whatever. They just have like these ideas. They're just there. Are they integrated with anything else? No. And they don't bother and they don't want to. And if you point out contradictions, they think you're just being some kind of, you know, nerd or concern troll or whatever. And so those aren't principles. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca P says the founders were afraid of democracy. <laughs> yes. Just like Joe Rogan was afraid, right? Uh, just like all those people who are afraid of the armband coof coverage. Yes. Yes, exactly. We have come full circle tonight. Thank you for pointing that out, Rebecca. Uh, we have. They were afraid, although they actually were afraid. They actually were afraid. But instead of making 
uh, a video and posting it to Twitter about how they were afraid of democracy. They wrote a constitution and tried their damnedest to put some freaking checks and balances in there that would have stopped us from getting where we got to. But, oh well. Um, all right, I think, I think that's it. Uh, oh, good, Beverly just arrived, so it's time to end the show. Um, can't have her listening. So she might, she might get ideas. We can't have that. Um, Keith the Hat Guy says, Liberty is a well-armed sheep contesting the vote. Well, that's certainly one of the checks, right? The Second Amendment was one of the checks that the Founding Fathers put on the system. Uh, in fact, you're reminding me, I'm going to, before I go, I know I said I was going to go, um, but I'm going to pull up a... I'm going to pull up a tweet. It's a tweet. I'm just going to read it, though. I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to show you. There was a... There's a thread today. Someone was saying, I understand vaccine hesitancy and resentment about mandates. Here's the one thing I don't understand. I know multiple people who are going to get the vaccine until they're mandated to. Uh, and now they're in the you-can't-tell-me-what-to-do mode. This is some blue check mark was saying this. And a guy I follow who I really like says, it's called go fuck yourself. That was his response. And someone else had uh, a response to that, which I really liked, which I think is true and relevant to the discussion tonight. It's a little bit histrionic, but it's true nonetheless. He said, I believe the whole point of America is to not trust government and to be ready to go nuclear at any moment on anyone who tries to tell you what to do. I, I wouldn't say that's the most academic distillation of America. But it's kind of spot on emotionally. It's kind of right. <laughs> He's kind of right. It's a good response. So, all right. I think that's it. If no one else has anything want to, that you guys want to talk about, I will uh, I will call it quits. We went a little long today. I was suspicious that we would. Oh, one more. Sorry. I'll fight you naked. says, I want to get the vax, but I will not do it until it is not involuntary. <laughs> My agent wait. It's a 99, at my age and weight, it's a 99.8% survival rate. Yeah, and I think a lot of people view that attitude as childish. Um, just to be honest with you, I don't view it that way, but I think a lot of people, normies do. And they're like, what do you mean? You won't do it until it's not. But I think as this guy on Twitter, his, his name is Ronald McPaul, if you guys want to follow him. Um, as Ronald McPaul kind of points out on Twitter, that's part of the psychology of America is this like, mm, I might be afraid of some diseases, but I'm way, and, I'm, and I might want to fight them and combat those diseases, but I'm, I'm much more angry about authoritarians. Like I'm, I'd, I'd much, like, if you're going to tell me, like, you know what I'm afraid of? If Keith wants to call us, not Keith that guy, but Oberman, if he wants to call us afraid, what I'm afraid of is authoritarianism. Um, and I think that's a rational fear. It's what the founders were afraid of. And it requires courage. By the way, courage, as you know, is not the lack of fear. It's action in the face of fear. I'm afraid of authoritarianism. Therefore, I act against authoritarianism. Like, 
that's why we act against this because we're afraid of it as we should be right um so all right i think we finally made it um as always uh, i do look for your suggestions i love having suggestions and feedback so i really appreciate it um so please keep that kind of stuff up i like uh i like i like hearing it i am always looking for uh topics that you guys want to talk about. I know this one, we didn't like come to an answer, so it might seem a little bit uh, unsatisfying, but we literally can't come to an answer like this on, on YouTube. It's just not possible. But I hope I like pointed you in a direction where you can go come to an answer, go read some stuff, think about this in that context, think about this answer from that perspective and see what you come up with. And maybe we'll have more some more stuff to talk about. Uh, together later. Okay. So thank you again for striking fear into Susan's heart by smashing the subscribe button. They do like to unsubscribe people. So, you know, if you think you're subscribed, you might want to go double check. Special thanks to those, to those of you who support the show financially. We can't do this without you. Desperately need you. Um, so really appreciate it. Um, and as always, you can go to unsafespace.com to check, check out what we're doing buy merch, support the show, do whatever. All right. Oh, wait, I'm going to read. It's not a super chat. I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, Ross Trevatera, who likes to give me shit a lot, but in a nice way, uh, says, read Darren Akamoglu's, I don't know who that is, uh, why nations fall, fail uh, would make this much more interesting. Uh, I will check it out. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the suggestion. I'm actually, why nations fail? I mean, if you've read Sir John Glubbs, uh, and uh, I think it's called The End of Empires is interesting. I've read a few books on why nations fail. Um, I'm not particularly interested in why the nation is failing. I kind of know why the nation is failing, and a lot of us do. And I have some reasons. Maybe I don't know all of them, but I got an inkling. Uh, but I'm pretty convinced we're not going to stop it from failing. So I'm on to the next question, which is what building materials do we need for the next one? Because let's, let's get those building materials. Uh, and maybe, maybe analyzing why nations fail is a, a good way to make sure you got all the right building materials, or at least you're uh, less likely to fail in the future. So that's probably good, but um, yeah. All right. Keith Hack, I says the decline and fall of the Roman Empire covers it also colon democracy oh nations fail because of democracy who would have thought all right thank you everyone um for watching again and uh i will see you guys probably on friday so on kofefi break on friday we have crap two people who am i forgetting oh actual justice warrior and sean fitzgerald and um brian from myth informed will be on kofefi break i'm planning to be there but as all of you know I could be whisked away into the delivery room at any moment. So um, if I'm not there, have a good Friday. If I am there, I'll see you Friday. Take care. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, 
please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and scheduled for ideological vaccination. To avoid cancellation, please update your ideological contact tracing app on your smart device immediately. Here's a fun fact. Only vaccinated black lives matter. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.